Good stuff. Good morning. Welcome to Asante Church. My name is Alex Dennis. I have the honor and the privilege of being lead pastor here. And I just want to thank you for joining us on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday. This is our Super Bowl as the church. This is what we look forward to all year round. This is something that we get the ability to live within every single day of the year, and that is the victory, the resurrection of our King Jesus. And so thank you. If it is your first time here at Asante Church, or if this is the one time a year you show up, I'm glad you're here this morning. There's no better place to be in the valley than right here, and I'm glad I get to spend this with you. If this is a place that you call your home church and this is another Sunday worship service for you, thank you for coming back. I am excited to dive into the scripture with you this morning. This is going to be a good time. We see that our king is victorious. We see that on Friday, our king was beaten, that he was bloodied, that he was crucified. We see on Saturday that our king borrowed the grave, the tomb of a rich man, but it is Sunday, church. The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. And not only is he risen, but he's on the move. That means our God is alive, that he is well, he is glorified, and he is going after the hearts of unbelievers. We see that when we dive into the scripture this morning. So if you have your Bible with us, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. If you have a church issue Bible, or if you picked a Bible up on the table outside as you came in, that will be page 885. Yeah, there we go. I had it right. We dive in with our first point this morning, the very first thing that we see Jesus do in our text today, and that is that Jesus draws near to unbelievers. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Quite a bit had taken place. While they were talking and discussing with each other, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now we break the scripture down like we do every week. It says that very day. This is Sunday, the very day that Jesus has resurrected from the dead. That very day, two of them were on the road going to a village named Emmaus. That very day, the king had risen from the grave. The stone had been rolled away. The grave clothes had been folded and put in the corner. The grave was empty. And as a group of women, a group of his followers went to the grave, angels appear and they tell them, hey, he's not in here. He has risen. These ladies are ecstatic. And so what do they do? They run back and they tell the disciples and the disciples look at them like they're absolutely bananas. What? He's risen from the grave? This has got to be a fairy tale. This is too good to be true. And so they go from where they are to check out the grave, and Peter investigates, and lo and behold, it is true. The grave is empty. So where's Jesus? Where's Jesus in all this? He's appeared as a gardener, and now he is on the road. Now he is drawing near to two of his disciples. Now he is drawing near to two people who are really dealing with and struggling with unbelief. Jesus is drawing near to unbelievers. Jesus is consoling and walking alongside and pursuing people that had witnessed but weren't yet able to believe. I think that this morning, just as Jesus pursued their unbelief, as Jesus draws near to them, I think Jesus is pursuing our unbelief. 
I think as believers, there are times where doubt can creep in, and we need to allow Jesus to deal with that this morning. But I think there's also another part of us in this room today that have never put our trust and our faith in Jesus, and I think Jesus wants to deal with that unbelief as well today. So it's my prayer that you would boldly, courageously allow him to do that as we progress through his truth, through the scripture this morning. Second thing we see Jesus do this morning is Jesus pursues their unbelief. Jesus pursues their unbelief. We see in verse 16 it says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Now, I think this is really awkward. <laughs> that's the weirdest question I've ever heard anybody ask anybody that's having a conversation. What is the conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? I think we could translate that into Arizonian Americans. Jesus walked up to him. He looked over at him. He said, what's up? <laughs> and these guys looked over at Jesus. They're like, not much. And they continued to walk down the road. And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? Well, strong word there, real hard to say. To Jerusalem, who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, I think Jesus is just hilarious. <laughs> what things? Bro, these things are about you. <laughs> And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were there went with us to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. We've got to ask some questions here. What's going on? Why were these guys not able to recognize Jesus? The answer to that question is they were kept from it, and I think they were kept from it in three different ways, possibly. I think the first way is definitely the case that Jesus was keeping them from seeing him. We see it in verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. I think Jesus just could just be using some supernatural Jesus superpowers here and keeping these guys from seeing who he really is. I think there's a reason for that. I think Jesus wants to get a pulse on the situation. And he could use his special Jesus mind powers and telepathically read their minds, but he wants to get it from them. Because if he gets it from them, that is their free will. They're giving this information to him, and he is able to build on top of that. This is customary practice for kings of the day. All right, They wanted to see how their ruling was going. They wanted to get the pulse of the people, see what the culture was saying about how well they were doing in their office. They would dress up in disguise. They would go out into their kingdom. They would be with their people, and they would ask questions hey, what do you think about the king doing this? Hey, what do you think about this policy? What do you think about this law that's been put into place? And there's a reason Jesus is doing that, because he wants the truth. As a pastor, I certainly understand this. Uh, recently, my truck was in the shop, and it's not always in the shop. Those of you who know I drive a Ford F-150 and want to make a Ford joke right now. <laughs> First time in 10 years. You can put your hand down, thank you. <laughs> I know who you are. I walk in. It's Monday morning, they're still a little tired from the weekend and all the fun that they had, and as they are talking about their weekend, they talk about where they went, and then they start talking about what they drank at the place that they went, 
And then they start to talk about how many of those drinks they had at the place that they went. And then when they finally got home, how tired they were and how good they slept after all of the weekend's shenanigans. I'm not an idiot. I know how people live. But I knew what was coming next. They started talking about how hard their jobs were. They started talking about how hard it was to find people that were qualified for their positions around the valley to work at their place. And then they looked at me and they said, hey, man, what do you do for a living? And I knew what was coming. So I'm a pastor. The guy sitting in the seat straightens up. I mean, just immediately, like, holy smokes. You could cut the tension with a knife in that room. The lady on the phone with a customer looked like she got struck with a live wire. Her face literally cringed, eee! remembering everything that had just been talked about. The conversation didn't get much better after that. The guy just told me how his ex-wife went to church every time it was open and every time she was at home, she was drunk. It was weird. The whole event turned into a country music song, but we made it through. But when when I told them what I did, their attitudes, their demeanor completely changed. I think that's exactly what Jesus is wanting to keep from happening in this place. And I think there's a reason for that. It's because he's setting this up for an opportunity to teach. Jesus could have revealed all of his glory and all of his magnificence. He could have shown up in a ball of light. I think Jesus was in his glorified state here. He didn't really turn on the light until he gets to heaven, and he's the only light that powers the whole thing. He didn't blind these people, but he showed up in disguise. I think if he would have showed up in all of his power, all of his might, all of his glory, turned the switch on, I think these people would have had an awesome experience with Jesus. But I don't think they would have divulged exactly what Jesus was looking for, and that's a foundation of truth to build on top of. These people would have had an experience, and an experience with Jesus is good, and certainly an experience with Jesus is necessary for us to experience salvation. But experience with truth, that's not just good. That's powerful. So Jesus is laying a foundation. He's preparing a foundation for truth. So their vision their eyes have been kept from, rec- from recognizing him. There's another thing I think that might be possibly getting in their way of seeing Jesus for who he really is, and that's found in verse 17, and I think that is their grief. It says, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walked? And they stood still, looking sad. These people were hopeful. Now these people were hopeless. They were around. These were disciples of Jesus. They had followed the company that had been following Jesus around. They probably saw everything that happened to Jesus on the cross. And if they didn't see it, they certainly heard it because they already made fun of Jesus for not knowing what had happened in Jerusalem in these days. They had bought into the hype. They bought into the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. They were probably the people throwing palms and their coats on the ground saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us. And the king that they thought they were going to get was just not the king that had arrived, not yet anyway. And so as they saw the person who they thought was going to deliver them on the cross dead, they were let down. This was the end of a funeral service, Jesus joins them as they are venting about everything that has happened, everything that had taken place. What they expected was a powerful lion to roar, the lion of Judah to save them. Instead, what they got was a gentle, meek, spotless lamb. What they wanted was victory over Rome, freedom from oppression. They wanted to be their own people under their own rule for Jesus to set up his own government. Instead, what they got and they had not yet fully grasped, not at this point in the story, is what 
Jesus had given to them. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the enemy. Ultimate victory. He wasn't who they expected. Still, they couldn't believe, and I think that's possibly the third thing keeping them from it, and I think that is their logic. Verse 24, some of those who went with us to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. I think the simple truth of the matter is they did not expect to see Jesus. Why? Because people don't just come back from the dead. In fact, the only guy that had ever risen anyone from the dead just died on a cross himself. How is he going to raise himself from the dead? Surely they didn't understand the power and the working of the Holy Spirit at this point. They didn't recognize Jesus because the empty tomb didn't make sense. You don't go to a funeral service and expect the person that opens the door for you on the way out is the same person that's in a casket or in an urn on the other side of that door. That doesn't make sense. They're not looking for him. They do not expect him. And isn't that funny? Anytime I can think of how Jesus has moved in my life, it is not in the way that I wanted it to happen. It is not in the way I thought it would happen. And it never, ever, ever makes sense. Still Jesus shows up. Still Jesus moves. So the next question is how did Jesus pursue their unbelief? Verses 17 and 19, by getting to the bottom of it. Jesus simply asks them questions. Jesus gets their take. And once he has received their honest, truthful, genuine, authentic response, then he starts to reframe everything. But this scripture It's not just for these two followers of his. This scripture is for us and also applies to us. And so how can we look at Jesus and apply this in our lives? We can see that Jesus is also pursuing our unbelief. Jesus wants to address our unbelief at the core. Jesus wants to help you even right this morning, right now, identify what is keeping you from unbelief. Jesus wants you to hand that over to him. And then Jesus wants to reframe unbelief to a point of faith. So this morning, what is keeping you from believing in the risen Jesus? Is it grief? Grief over life that is not the way that you expected it to be. Grief over trauma and things that have taken place in your life and the circumstances in which you are currently living that you are just so overwhelmed with you can't see the Savior that is reaching his hand out to you to remove you from that mess. Maybe it's your logic. Maybe you just don't have every piece to the puzzle. That's understandable. This thing takes faith. We're not always gonna have every answer. But I can promise you when you put your faith in him, he will prove himself to you. Maybe it's other circumstances. Maybe life is not how you planned it would be. Maybe life is exactly how you planned it to be and you realize that it's good, but it's not everything that it was cracked up to be. Maybe you're living a life that is good that is not God's great. Maybe you're living a life that is good, but is still empty. Maybe you're living a life that is good, but it's not true. Maybe you're living a life that is good, but it is unfulfilled. I want you to know that goodness, fulfillment, truth, That comes in Jesus and Jesus alone. We see that in our third point this morning. Jesus reveals the truth to these two followers of his. 
as they're walking down the road. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. At this time, Jesus lets the reframing begin. He says, hey, look, you two, you have completely missed it. So let me show you the truth. And what does it say he does from there? He goes to the word of God for truth. It says that he goes to Moses and all the prophets. It doesn't mean that he starts with the Exodus account. Moses, this means that he starts at the very beginning of the book, in the first five books of the Bible that Moses penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit himself. That is the Pentateuch. I think Jesus probably would have started them in Genesis 3 after sin has entered into the world, after the serpent has deceived Eve and then Adam follows suit. I think he would have showed them how God declared that the offspring of Eve would rise up, that he would bruise the head of the serpent and that the serpent would bruise the heel of the offspring. I think he would point to them, or he would look to them and point to his victory on the cross over the enemy. And though the enemy has not been cast out and judged finally, and as his heel was bruised, that is his, his him taking the cross and dying on behalf of our sins, but him raising from the dead victorious. I think from there he probably would have gone to Genesis 22, where God tells Abraham to take your one and only son, whom you love, Isaac, which, by the way, was not Abraham's one and only son. He was the one and only son according to God's plan. And also, this is the first place in all of Scripture that we see love ever mentioned. Right here, Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2. And he says, take him on top of Mount Moriah, your one and only son, whom you love, and I want you to sacrifice him. And this is how God would know that Abraham was his man. And when Abraham gets to the top of Mount Moriah, which, by the way, was the exact mountain that Jesus was crucified on himself, he would provide a ram to be the sacrifice. I think Jesus would have pointed to that and he would say, hey, this is just foreshadowing of everything that I would do for you. Me, God's one and only son, would come and give my life for the sin of the world so that you could be set free from the power of hell, so that you could be set free from the power of death, so that you could be set free from sin and the enemy. I think from there he probably would have taken him to Exodus 12. He would have taken him to the Passover. He would have taken them to Israel being enslaved by Egypt. And on the last plague, the angel of death visiting every home. And as it saw the blood of a spotless lamb over the doorway, it would have passed from that home on to the next one. I think he would have said, hey, you see that blood, that spotless blood of the perfect sacrifice of a lamb on the mantle of those doors? That represents my blood, which cleanses you of your sin. Now death passes over you if you believe in me. Don't worry, we're going to stop there at Exodus 12. I'm not taking you through the whole entire Old Testament today. You have to show up next week. We'll keep going. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is showing them that he has always been the plan. Jesus is showing them that his death is what offers eternal life. I think Paul catches Jesus' drift here. And he puts all of this together in Romans in the New Testament where he puts together something that we call the Romans Road. Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. This is concerning you and me. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, we have fallen short of the glory of God. We are not perfect people. 
because we are not perfect people. We cannot be in God's perfect, holy presence. So there had to be a way that was made for us. There had to be a plan that was put into place, and that plan was put into place before time ever began. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, that means that God has seen everything that you have ever done. God will see and has seen everything that you will ever do. And even still, Jesus chooses to take the cross for you. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23, for the wages, what we earn, the wages for our sin is death. That means hell. We are bound for hell because of our sin. But... This is the greatest comma but in the whole Bible. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is not something that we earn. That is something that is given freely that we accept. And that is not something that is taken away as we are sealed. Romans 10, 9 through 12. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And Paul closes this up in Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus, I believe on the road to Emmaus, is giving them the Old Testament version of what we would see as the Romans road in the New Testament. So Jesus has done three things. Jesus has pursued the unbelievers. He has pursued their unbelief. He has displayed and revealed a foundation of truth. And now we see, after he has done these three things, he has taken three steps towards them. Now they take a couple of steps toward Jesus. And our fourth point today, they draw near and see Jesus. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if if he was going further. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. This is a seven-mile journey. I don't know if you've ever walked seven miles. It doesn't take all day. I'm thinking Jesus got pretty long-winded here. I'm thinking these boys had to sit down, figure out exactly what's going on. Jesus is laying some thick truth on us. Maybe they got a little overwhelmed, but now the day is far spent. They are tired. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and he broke it and he gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and Jesus just went and did some crazy Jesus things all over again and he vanished from their sight this guy how do they draw near to Jesus they invite him in they invite him in to stay I don't know where you're at this morning with Jesus but there's a good chance if you're not on right terms that you need to invite him in You need to allow him to do some work in your life, on your mind, and on your heart. And as they invite him in, they pursue his presence. How do they finally see Jesus? They see Jesus in the breaking of bread. What Jesus is doing here is he is flashing back to something that happened on Thursday. And this thing that took place Thursday is a flash forward of what would happen on Good Friday. We see this in Luke 22, 19 through 20. If you were with us Friday night for Good Friday service, the scripture will sound familiar to you. He's painting the picture for them of his sacrifice. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Surely they would have remembered this as they saw him on the cross. And likewise, 
the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The sacrificial system is no more. I am the final, the ultimate sacrifice. And it is through this sacrifice that their eyes are finally opened. They realize at table with Jesus, at the breaking of bread, everything that he has done for them. Now all the scripture, all the Old Testament that has been positioned in its right format for them to take in and build on the foundation of truth, epiphany moment. Ah, it finally makes sense. Jesus wants the same thing for us. Jesus wants us to look to and remember his sacrifice. Jesus wants to open our eyes as well. Jesus wants us to look to his nearness. Jesus wants us to look to his proof in scripture. Jesus wants us to look to the cross and see his sacrifice, but he doesn't want it to end there. Jesus then wants us to look at the empty tomb and see his victory. Jesus wants us to draw near to him and see him just as these two disciples of his have done. Fifth and final point this morning. What do they do after they see Jesus? They do the same thing that we have gathered here today to do, and that is they celebrated the risen king. Thank you. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for celebrating the resurrection of my king. Thank you for celebrating the resurrection of your king. This is no small thing. Because of this, we don't die and stay dead. We don't die and go to hell. Because of this, we are offered life and eternity. Because of this, sin, death, the enemy, have no more power over us if we find ourselves within the work of the cross in right relationship with God through the work of Jesus. We see their celebration. Verses 32 through 35, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? This is not heartburn. This is, they just had bread, maybe a little wine for dinner. Did not our hearts burn with us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Now these guys were tired. Jesus had laid it all on them. They had gotten to Emmaus. They stopped. That was seven miles. That was a full day. And now they are so full, filled with fire and energy and strength. They are so refreshed and restored because of their time with Jesus that they get back up and they walk all the way back to Jerusalem. And it says, and they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together. And those that they found were saying, the Lord has risen Indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And I do not think they ever stopped telling this story. They're like your grandpa that's getting a little bit old and tells you the same story every Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, every family get-together. I think they took this story out to the world. Let me tell you about my king who is no longer in the grave. Let me tell you about my king who met me on the road. Let me tell you about my king who has set me free from sin and death and the enemy. Let me tell you about my king who reigns victorious. Let me tell you about how we had a meal together and he made everything known to me. One thing we want to do as a church every time we open up God's word is we want to look at scripture and we want to say, how do I apply this to my life as I leave this place today? 
We call that being the church and displaying the kingdom, and that is very important to us around here. And so how are we to be the church and display the kingdom today? We're to draw near to Jesus as he has drawn near to us. We see that in verses 13 through 31. We are to celebrate the risen king, and we are about to worship him. And I've heard you worship this morning. Powerful stuff. We'll keep that going. We see that, verses 31 through 34. And as we celebrate the the risen king, we tell others of what we have seen. Church family, we have the greatest news. We have the greatest story ever told. We have hope that is living, that is made known and available to us. Do not keep that to yourself. Share it with your loved ones around you. Share it with the people you come into contact with. That's not to be kept a secret. Let's pray.